Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for this Ash Wednesday will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus speaks to us about prayer and fasting. Let us begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this day where we are reminded that we are but dust and to dust we shall return. But Lord, we come to you also this day with the sure and certain hope that you have conquered this dust-bound life and promised us eternal life in your presence. We pray, O oh Lord, that as we pray and as, as, as we fast and we learn to trust in you, you would give us hope in this promise. And teach us to cling to you all of our days, even as your Son, Jesus Christ, clings to us. Now, O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this year, I have been coaching my children's, uh, my two boys, their baseball team. Now, uh, I say I kind of have been doing it because we've had so much rain, I've only had two practices and no actual games. So I haven't done a lot of great work uh, in teaching these kids how to play baseball. But one of the things I'm learning here as I coach these kids is that when you coach baseball for little leaguers, you spend as much time telling them how not to play baseball as you tell them how to play baseball. So for example, when you're teaching the kids to swing, you have to tell them, don't dip your shoulder like everybody wants to hit a home run on every play. Don't dip your shoulder when you swing. Or when you throw the ball, don't throw the ball with the glove that has the, the hand that has the glove on it. Like that doesn't work. Throw with the other one. Or uh, don't swing a bat at somebody's head unless they have a helmet on. See, there's certain rules that the kids need to learn before they can actually play the game. And there's certain things they have to learn that they are not supposed to do. Learning what not to do is just as important as learning what you should do when you play this game. Now today, when Jesus is teaching us about prayer and fasting, he does this. He spends a lot of time telling us what not to do when it comes to prayer and fasting, just as much time as he tells us how we should pray and fast. Now, I want to bring you into a little context here so we understand exactly where Jesus is at when he's preaching this message today. We are in the middle, in this section, we are smack dab in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this is not a very good order to preach in. Usually you like to begin at the, end, you begin at the beginning and, and at the end. But we're going to begin right in the middle. And we're doing this because throughout the season of Lent, we're going to be preaching through a lot of the sections of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're doing a round robin. So I'm preaching today, Pastor Matt next week, uh, Pastor Meyer the following week. Uh, and I didn't want to write a whole bunch of sermons. So this is the one I'm preaching on today, and this is what you get. Uh, but today, as we come to this part of the Lord's uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' great first sermon in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we actually find ourselves in the middle of the sermon and in like the second and third point of one of the major sections. In this particular section, Jesus is talking about the piety or the Christian discipline of his disciples. He's talking to them about certain practices disciples carry out and how they should do it. We heard already about prayer and fasting, but Jesus also talked just before this about how disciples should give, how we should be giving generously to the poor. And to start the entire section off, Jesus has this warning for us. He says these words as sort of a summary statement. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying when it, when it comes to your giving, when it comes to your praying, when it comes to your fasting, don't show off. These are matters between you and God. These are not to be done for a show. They are not to be done and paraded around for others to see. No, prayer, fasting, giving, these are things done secretly, silently, quietly, in faith before God. Now, this seems to say, this seems obvious enough, but as you really kind of think about this, uh, these words are very countercultural to the world that we live in right now. Because as you look around right now, we are in a culture that is, we, we might call it a look-at-me culture, a very narcissistic culture where we like to draw attention to ourselves and we like to be praised and exalted for the good and the wonderful things we do. And now it's not only found in uh, places like social media, but it is exemplified very well with social media. When I talk about social media, I talk about Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is none of you guys here are actually doing. Uh, uh, but you see this actually going on right now, where people get onto the internet to basically just show off, to show off their righteousness, to show how good their life is. People love to get on social media, and I'm, I'm guiltier than anyone, and to show how good their lives are. We like to take pictures of the food that we make and we eat to show how good our meal is. We love to put pictures up there to show how wonderful the time is we are having with our friends. We like to put pictures on there to show how wonderful our marriages are. We, we show this world a bit just about just how great our lives can be. And this is actually kind of dangerous. For a couple of reasons. One, we like to portray pictures of ourselves that really aren't true to reality. And two, uh, we like to do this, and unfortunately what happens is other people see this whose lives are not going so well, and then they become very depressed because they're not nearly as happy as the picture they see right there in front of them. Just as a quick example here, my dad, if you go to his Facebook page, which I'm sure you all want to do, and it's fun to pick on him when he's not here, but if you go to his Facebook page, there is a wonderful picture of him and my mom and all the grandkids. We had this uh, photo shoot last year in Denver. Uh, it was up in the mountains there outside of Colorado. And it's this beautiful picture. And mom and dad are there and all the grandkids are smiling and giggly and all this sort of stuff. What you don't see there is the amount of yelling and cussing that took place uh, to get the kids to sit down and pay attention. Like that was the reality of the situation. And we just had a really good photographer in terms of timing, okay? Uh, the reality is, that was a very frustrating day, a very frustrating day, <laughs> you see. Um, and, and so this is what you have going on here. So people portray these false perspectives of themselves, and it now causes other people to feel bad because they see this and they say, well, wait a minute, I can't get my grandkids to sit down. I can't get my life uh, to look this happy. And it's causing depression. In fact, I just read a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, and it was talking about the great levels of uh, depression on the rise among teenagers and college students uh, right now. And there's a lot of factors going into that depression. We can't just blame one thing, like if we got rid of social media, everybody would be happy. But the reality is this doesn't help. Because people are looking at these pictures and feeling left out, they're feeling inferior, and there's a problem there. People are out boasting of their righteousness for the world to see, and it creates both pride 
and despair. Now, what would it look like if the church started to act this way? Can you imagine? If Christians began walking around, showing off just how many ashes they had on their forehead for everyone to see. If Christians started walking around boasting of what great prayer warriors they were, talking about how sincere and deep their prayer life and their devotional life was. Can you imagine what would happen if Christians walked around showing off just how good they were at taking care of the poor and how they were better than everyone else? If Christians began to boast about how their voting practices and their perspectives on the world and their views of morals were better than everybody else's, so therefore we're clearly spiritually superior. Can you imagine if the Christians started doing that? don't think you have to think too hard about it because the reality is christians look just as worldly as everyone else as we go around boasting of our own righteousness because we love the accolades we love it when people respond positively and say what a good christian you are it makes us feel good inside when people notice just how holy and pious we are. We love to show off our spirituality. We love to be applauded for it. And as much as we complain about it, we have to be honest, we kind of like it when people who disagree with us get upset. It makes us feel like we're doing something right. And in all of this, Jesus just looks at us and says, well, good for you, but you've received your reward in full. The reality is that we need to repent of such pride And we need to recognize that when we spend our time focusing on and boasting of our own righteousness and our own spiritual practices, not only are we exalting ourselves in pride, we are causing our brothers and sisters in Christ to feel ashamed of their low levels or lack of spirituality. I can't tell you the number of conversations I have with people who are worried that they don't know how to pray because they don't sound like Saint so-and-so. I'm not holy enough to pray. I don't sound as good as they do. The problem with both sides of this is that this sort of uh, boasting of our own righteousness, our own spirituality, misses the point altogether. It misses the point of prayer altogether. If we're boasting of fasting, it misses the point of fasting altogether. Because the goal of prayer and fasting is not to show off how spiritual we are, Not to get us navel-gazing about how good or bad we are at these things. But the Lord God gives us prayer and fasting to focus our hearts and our minds not on ourselves, but on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. He gives us prayer and fasting to focus on our Father in heaven from whom come all good gifts. See, prayer and fasting just don't fit very well into a focus-on-me culture. Because they're not opportunities for us to show off how well we've got our spiritual lives together. In fact, I think we could argue that prayer and fasting are given to us because our spiritual lives are the opposite. We need prayer and fasting to acknowledge that we are nothing but beggars before our God. Prayer and fasting are not opportunities for us to exercise our spiritual muscles but rather they are the practices and disciplines of creatures who depend entirely on their creator, God, for everything. 
So that when we do something like pray the prayer Jesus gave us to pray, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, what we're showing is that we do not have the kingdom and the power and the glory apart from him. That they must be given to us as a gift. And that even our our daily bread, the forgiveness of our sins, protection from the devil and temptation, we are hopeless without God before these things. We need him to provide our daily bread. We need him to forgive our sins. And we need him to protect us from sin, death, and the devil. None of these things we have on our own. We depend on God for all of them. Fasting then fits into this prayer life very nicely. Because fasting is a physical reminder of where we are spiritually. Constantly in need. And fasting reminds us that we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we need that reminder. Because we're so often addicted to just how well we're doing ourselves. We need to be reminded how much we depend on God. So he gives us the gift of fasting to teach us to listen in hunger. Again, we don't do these things to demonstrate how holy or spiritual we are. We do them as beggars and creatures who depend upon God for everything. And we do that because we have a God who has promised to hear us when we do that. He even uses the word today, reward us. And with these words to to sort of uh, take from Martin Luther in the small catechism, our dear Father tenderly invites us as dear children to ask him for whatever it is we need for life and salvation. We have a God who has promised to hear our prayers. And not only this, think about this, not only do we have a God who has promised to hear our prayers, we have a God who has promised to pray for us. We have a God in the flesh of Jesus Christ who has, in a sense, entered into our prayer and our needs so he might pray on our behalf. We have a Jesus who has entered our hunger and our thirst and our need for righteousness. For as we think about Jesus and fix our eyes on Jesus this Lenten season, we see a Jesus who in hunger and thirst hung on a cross and wept and cried and bled and prayed to his Father. And this was no show of Jesus to show you just how much more righteous he is than you. But rather, it was God putting his son on display to show what would happen to sinners. And there is Jesus dies as a sinner in our place, though he is without sin. From this cross, through pain and tears, he cries to his Father. And do you remember the word he prays? He prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. From his place of need, from his place of hunger, from his place of prayer, Jesus cried for forgiveness for you. And there he died for you. Think about this. Then the Father heard him. The Father heard the cries of Jesus and rewarded him for his faithfulness to the end. He raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand And now here we have these marvelous verses where we hear that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father ever to intercede for you. Think about that. That the Lord Jesus crucified, risen, and ascended now prays for you daily into the ears of the Father. And do you know what he prays for you? 
I have an inkling he prays something like this. Let your name be hallowed in their lives. Let your kingdom come to them and your will be done to them. Give them their daily bread, forgive them their sins, and lead them not to temptation, but protect them from the evil one. The Lord Jesus prays these things for you. The Father hears, and he answers, and gives you all that Christ prays for, for your forgiveness, life, and salvation, all that he won on the cross for you. This is why we can pray and fast with hope and confidence that the Lord will hear us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We cannot boast of our own righteousness as we go before God. We cannot expect to go there on our own. None of us are worthy, and yet through the blood of Christ, Jesus has opened the door for us to enter into the throne room of heaven and speak to our Father. Through his shed blood, he has opened the ears of God to hear your cries and answer you in faith and in love. So you can go in your little closet and you can shut the door in secret. And there you can pray. And when you do, you will find the Father there, having his name hallowed in your life, giving you his kingdom and doing his will for you as he sits there waiting for you so that he might give you your daily bread, he might forgive you your sins, and he might protect you from the devil, and he despises the devil and all the world for your sake. You don't need anybody else to hear that prayer. You don't need anybody else to be impressed by what goes on in that conversation. All you need is the ear of the Father. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you have it. And he has promised to hear you. And he has promised to answer you, to reward you for Christ's sake. That is why this season we can pray and fast with hope. For Jesus has given us a dear Father who hears our prayers and answers us for our good. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful Father, we give you thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, who has opened your ears to hear our prayers, and we thank you, Lord, that you bend your ear to us. You know what we need even before we ask. You give it to us for the sake of your Son. Grant us faith to trust in you. Give us words to pray and confidence that our reward is in you through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.